well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. We use heart attack. Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Jeremy's Bomb Pro Hunter? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my What's up, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today. And what I'm going to start out talking about is we kind of get obsessed with the compilation of players when it comes to the building of a team. And I got to admit, I got to admit, one of my major faults as a sports fan is I get pulled aside and I get dragged into the fascination of the development of a super team. I think of great players, top players within a sport that all get together and are all playing together. And I automatically take the bait when it comes to thinking that that team is going to succeed, that team is going to dominate, that team is going to be one of the best teams ever put together. LeBron James made the decision, you know, the big, uh, you know, decision to play with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And I thought that team was set up for what would have been four straight NBA championships. Now, listen, they didn't do that bad. They, They made it to the NBA finals all four years, won two championships. But I've always considered myself a sucker for the super team. And you see it happen over the course of sports. Uh, Major League Baseballs, we're getting set for a free agency. You're going to know that there's different elements that are going to impact how teams are built and put together. And, you know, there's going to be a winner of the offseason. And I guarantee you, the winner of the offseason is going to be some, is going to be a team that is going to get my intrigue. I'm going to go over and say, wow, that team looks pretty good. Like the San Diego Padres last year, I'm like, wow, that team's going to go win themselves a World Series this year, or they're going to be a playoff team. I can go back as far as 1992 when uh, the New York Mets are putting together a team that consists of Bobby Bonilla and Eddie Murray and Brett Saberhagen and Vince Coleman. And I'm like, man, they got Howard Johnson, Kevin McReynolds. Dwight Gooden, David Cohn, John Franco's the closer. This team's going to friggin' win the World Series. This team's going to be a postseason bound team. You know what? It turned out to be one of the worst teams money can buy. And you see that kind of happening right before our eyes when it comes to the composition of the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers, the expectation. Any team that has LeBron James is expected to win. Any team that has Anthony Davis with LeBron James. You know, it's, it's going to be a matter of how many championships they win together, not whether they win a championship. And obviously, it hasn't gotten off to a good start now. And you think of o- Odell Beckham Jr. with the Cleveland Browns. Jarvis Landry on the other side, Baker Mayfield. You got Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. You got an exceptional defense there. And you figured that the Browns would only be better with Odell Beckham on their team. And what you saw in one game, and this is all we're talking about, we're just talking about one game, the Browns looked a little looser. The Browns took a look, looked a little more relaxed. 
the Browns looked as if they were in a position where they had a little more relief than they had in previous weeks with Odell Beckham on the roster. And I'm not saying that the reason that the Browns were held back was because of Odell Beckham, but I admit my own fault when it comes to my assumption that the Browns were going to be a better football team with Odell Beckham Jr. You know, as part of that offense. Just like I think the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook I think they should be guaranteed to win a championship. They're, they're that good on paper. And unfortunately, the paper element of the argument seems to be what I'm missing. You have to go out there and perform. You have to win the games that are on your dock. You have to win the games on your schedule. You have There's this thing called chemistry. And chemistry isn't a guarantee. You, you put Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig on the same field. Yeah, it, it works for a while, but at some point it didn't work. You know, what, what happened in 1933, you know, 34, 25? You know, those were years, if, if you go back in baseball history, there was, you know, a, a little bit of an issue between Babe and Garrick. Certainly in 25, when Garrick started to make his presence known, and then later on in the 30s, where I think Ruth and Garrick kind of had this little ego problem. Lou Gehrig was never one of one known to be egotistic, but Babe Ruth made it difficult for the two of them to coexist together. That was part of what led to Ruth's departure in 1934 at the end of the 1934 season with the Yankees. And you know, he, part of part of it was that, and the other part of it was Ruth's ambition to be a major league baseball manager which he got a semi-promise from the Boston Braves for the 1935 season that he was going to be an assistant manager and maybe down the road that was going to be his thing. I don't know. I think he got played there. But, you know, the point is, is, you know, it's so easy to take stars of a given sport, compile them together, put them in within the same mold, on the same roster, on the same team, and just expect that formula to equal winning. And it doesn't always work out that way, but we find more often than not, it doesn't work out that way. And what you're seeing with maybe the Browns could be a little bit of a relief because Odell Beckham's not there, will also explains for Odell as he is looking for his next team, as he's getting set to either be claimed on waivers, which he may not be, but if he's a free agent, he has the right to pretty much pick his next team that he's gonna play for. It, it, could, it could end up helping the team, but I don't think it's a guarantee to make that team better. Antonio Brown to the Raiders a couple of years ago. I thought that was going to be great. That was exactly what they needed, a big play receiver to go with the other weapons that they had. Um, you know, It never really came to fruition. He, he went on to New England. He ended up getting himself in trouble a little bit and never, never really saw how that panned out. But he goes to Tampa Bay, and it looked like it worked last year. They won themselves a Super Bowl. But as we get set for this upcoming baseball postseason, I mean uh, the you know free agent signings, you know off season, I'm wondering what team is going to draw me in and say, "Wow, they're going to be good," because I think that's where we're going to end up, you know, miss it. Because I think it's easy to look at the star talent on a group of players on a team and just assume that they're going to be good. They're going to be good because of the back of their baseball cards. Roberto Alomar was acquired by the Mets for the 2002 season, a future Hall of Famer. 
There was nothing that he could do in New York that was keeping him from getting enshrined in the Baseball's Hall of Fame. And Roberto Alomar was terrible. There's no way you would have known that Roberto Alomar was going to be terrible in a 2002 season. And Russell Westbrook, you know, in regards to the Lakers, listen, he's taking his shots. He's getting his triple doubles. He's doing the things that Russell Westbrook does on the basketball court. But it's not adding up. It's not equaling success. It's not making the Lakers a better team. And think about it. The team of the Lakers had a little bit of chemistry issues last year. You know, it's not like they really got it together. I know AD was hurt. LeBron missed a little bit of time. But the players that were there, for some reason, never really connected the way they did the year before when they went out in a bubble and won the NBA championship. Is it Westbrook? Carmelo Anthony is also a player that's never won a championship before. He's on that roster. You, know, you, you mix them with Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley and anybody else that I can name that's a part of that roster. And all they are after a while is names. Now, good names, really good players. Many of them will be in the Hall of Fame. Certainly the ones that aren't are going to get some recognition as all-stars over the course of their careers. But you can't buy yourself a championship. And it's I, I hate to sound cliche because uh, it's easy to jump into that cliche. I think there's systems in place in sports which help teams that may not necessarily have the talented players. But, uh, you know, I've always questioned that. I've always questioned, hey, if you got a series of the best players in a given sport, you know, how does that not equate to postseason and a championship team? Now, the Lakers, number one, I think should be able to make the playoffs in a Western Conference. I think when it comes to basketball this year, you can make a case that the Eastern Conference is a little stronger than the West, especially if the Cleveland Cavaliers emerge, which I haven't even gotten into talking about them. But I think they're a very under-the-radar team that is going to get good quick. May not be NBA championship good, but I think it's playoff contending good. But in the West Coast, West Conference, Western Conference, I could see the Lakers slip it in towards the bottom, but you just look at the faces and you look at the players that are on that roster and you just wonder, why are they not at the top? And you say, hey, the NBA regular season is X amount of games long and you don't need to be the best team in the regular season. You need to be the best team in the postseason. But there's nothing that I've seen so far that makes me think that this Lakers team is going to get any better. Is it all on Russell Westbrook? I don't know, but I think as time goes by, they're going to have to evaluate that. When Anthony Davis and LeBron James are on the same court and LeBron's 100%, I think you're going to start to evaluate the chemistry between those three players. And if that chemistry isn't working, then you're going to have to make a change. Next thing I wanted to talk about is Urban Meyer. And you, you think of... The NFL this past Sunday, and like I said, I don't want to break down games and talk about things that just happened. I want to talk more about sports topics because I want my shows to be less time sensitive. So this past week in the NFL, there was a lot of upsets, obviously. None of them more intriguing than the Jacksonville Jaguars beating the Buffalo Bills. Now, the game was held in Jacksonville, so you know about parity in the NFL 
It's a group of players against a group of players, given all they got. So, you know, talk about momentum and breaks and things that happen over the course of the game that sways the game from one team to another. But this was kind of a snooze fest. 6-6 going late in the game. All of a sudden, Jacksonville gets the ball. They kick themselves a field goal. They end up winning by the score of 9-6. Now, I'm watching the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because he's something that I've gravitated towards. I think the media is very in love and enjoys trying to knock people down off of the pedestals that either they put themselves on or their success puts themselves on. And Urban Meyer, as a college football head coach, is one of the greatest in the history of the sport. There's no numbers that I'm going to be able to throw at you that you can't dispute of how great of a college football coach Urban Meyer was. Now, is the NFL a different animal? You know what? I've only heard that about a million times since Urban was named the head football coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's going to be doubters. There's going to be people out there that are going to wish and hope for Urban Meyer to fail. And those people that are wishing for him to fail are going to point at every single thing he says and every single thing he does. And obviously, he was involved in a little controversy. You know, you talk about maybe not relating to the team. You know, he does some weird things. He doesn't take a plane with them. He ends up rubbing up against some girl at a party that isn't his wife. And while all these things are true, and in, in most cases have been proven, it doesn't mean that the dictation is that Urban Meyer is not going to be long for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's what the popular take is. The belief is, is maybe, you know, Shad Khan, the owner, is not going to fire a midseason. And in a lot of people's minds, it's almost a guarantee that Urban Meyer will not be coming back to the Jacksonville Jaguars next year. I'm going to raise it up a little bit. Not only say that Urban Meyer is going to be back next year as the head football coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Urban Meyer's gonna ride this thing out. Urban Meyer's gonna be the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars the next handful of seasons, however long they need to get back on their track. And with Trevor Lawrence and whatever other players that end up getting added, Urban Meyer's gonna take the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Super Bowl. And you know what? You have this on record. You have this on video. You have the audio recording on the podcast of the Past Ball Show available on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Urban Meyer is going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Super Bowl, which means, number one, he's not going anywhere for the next handful of seasons. Number two, whatever type of cancel culture you're trying to use because you don't like Urban Meyer is not going to work. Rub it up against some girl that's not his wife is not moral is not proper etiquette. It's not the way to act, but it's not a terminable offense. So come back at me when we talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars in the Super Bowl. I don't know how long it's going to take. Ain't going to be this year. It's not like the team's going to go out there and win their next 11 games and go on this run to the Super Bowl. They're not ready yet. They might not be ready next year. But Urban Meyer is going to stick around long enough to take the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Super Bowl. Point number three. 
Major League of Baseball announcing the 14 players that have been offered qualifying offers by their Major League Baseball teams, their parent clubs. And of course, I don't have them written down now. So let's see how many of them I can get off the top of my head. We got Michael Conforto, Noah Syndergaard of the Mets, Carlos Correa, Justin Verlander of the Astros, Freddie Freeman of the Brave. Then there's Corey Seager of the Dodgers, right? Chris Taylor of the Dodgers, that's seven. And a handful of other players led by Trevor Story of the Rockies. And the issue that I have here is the qualifying offer as it's set up in conjunction with the upcoming collective bargaining agreement. And in baseball, obviously we know things can be a little fickle depending on what ends up happening, but the seven days or 10 days or so that are set for these players to take these qualifying offers are set up to, and obviously I'm, I'm sitting here like an idiot trying to look this thing up because that's what I do. Eventually I'll be done being stupid. So the list, if I can't get the list, I'm just gonna get mad, there you go. So the 14 players, Brandon Belt, Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto, Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman, Rosel Iglesias, Robbie Ray, Eduardo Rodriguez, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, Noah Syndergaard, Chris Taylor, and Justin Verlander. So you're talking about a, some very valuable players to these respective baseball teams, but also the teams representing or acknowledging enough that these players have enough value that they're worth offering them $18.4 million for one season. Any one of these players has the right to take it, and that respective team is on the hook to pay that player for the 2022 season. Now, a lot of times there's semantics involved. A lot of times there's a player that has no intention of re-signing with the individual club that rejects the qualifying offer, and the team ends up getting themselves a draft pick for next year. So teams do that. The Colorado Rockies are doing that. They're, they have no intention of re-signing Trevor Story. So you know that what the Rockies are looking to do is just get themselves a draft pick. In the history of the qualifying offer, there's been 96 players before this season that have been given the qualifying offer. 10 players have taken the offer. How many of the 14 players here are likely to take this offer? Now, as I look at this, I think Noah Syndergaard taking the offer and $18.4 million for the Mets would make a lot of sense. Noah has, has pitched two innings in the last two seasons coming back from Tommy John surgery. It would be a great spot for him to pitch for the Mets, have a big season, and then set himself up for free agency. Pretty similar to what Marcus Stroman, the maybe soon-to-be former Met pitcher, did last year. He took the qualifying offer, had a big season, and he's certainly going to get paid well over $100 million in his next contract. Is there anybody else on this list that I think is a sure thing to accept the qualifying offer? Number one, Rizel Iglesias, I think is only the second or third relief pitcher to ever be given a qualifying offer, which means Rizel Iglesias, if he accepts this offer, will be, get paid, will be getting paid $18.4 million next season, which is a lot for a relief pitcher. So I would think that it would be a very, very it would, be, would behoove this player to take this offer because I don't think he's getting anywhere near 18.4 million annually on any contract that he's going to get. And then another player that I think is interesting is Brandon Belt of the Giants. There's the connection between San Francisco and Brandon Belt. He's won a World Series playing for there, I think two if I'm not mistaken. 
and he's beloved he's beloved in that city now Brandon Belt may be thinking hey a trip to free agency maybe I get a multi-year deal but you know if you think of what Brandon Belt is worth as a baseball player first baseman at this stage of his career 18.4 million a year seems a little bit higher than what he would be getting paid on the open market. So those are three players off the top of my head that I could see taking the qualifying offer. Another one that will be interesting is Justin Verlander, another pitcher pitcher coming back from Tommy John surgery. But uh, Verlander holding a workout with a couple different teams, so it's very likely that he'll probably decline the offer. Um, last thing I have to bring up, and it's something you know very sad. Um, I think a lot of people in the baseball community were saddened by the uh, unexpected death of former Mets relief pitcher Pedro Feliciano, and he passed away at the age of 45. Eduardo Perez of ESPN was the one that reported it, and Feliciano as a relief pitcher from the years of 2006 to 2010 uh, was was kind of in a league of his own. Was kind of Mike Marshall, was kind of Jesse Orozco, was kind of Solomon Torres, whoever whoever you think of as that pitcher is just gonna pitch in a ton of games each year. Pitched 64 games in 2006, 78 in 2007, 86 in 2008, 88 in 2009, and 92 in 2010. Now, his arm essentially fell off when he signed a two-year contract to play for the Yankees for the 2011 and 2012 season. Came back for the Mets in 2013 and got into 25 more games, but was really the definition of a loogie, left-hand, only one-out guy or pitcher during a time where baseball was, was good with it. I don't know if Pedro Feliciano would have a lot of success right now if he was pitching in the major leagues with the three-batter rule. That being said, at his best in 2006-2007, I remember him being able to get right-hand hitters out. In fact, in 2009, um, in the Omir Santos game at Boston and Fenway Park, <coughs> it was Pedro Feliciano that pitched a scoreless seventh inning if I'm not mistaken, going up against three right-handed batters. So he proved to be able to get right-hand hitters out, and it was just you know, a legitimate good guy. Um, I, you can't see it. Even you know, during the time he pitched, there was never anybody that had anything bad to say about Pedro Feliciano. So obviously, rest in peace, and obviously we're all saddened and shocked about the passing of a still very young man, but former Major League Baseball pitcher Pedro Feliciano. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Past Ball Show. We'll be back with you a couple more times this week. I'm aiming to go on Thursday, and we're going to do Saturday. We're going to be going on a little more often. Like I said, anything that's on your mind, just shoot it my way. You know, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, throw me a comment. Um, if you're listening on the uh, any of the app to listen to the podcast you can send me a comment either email me jrpelli at gmail.com tweet at me at john underscore pelli so we'll be back with you next week or actually in a couple days so god bless you and as always i'll see you 
on the other side. Very good possibility that Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. How come you're only looking at a certain amount of money that gets rewarded to a particular franchise as we hit the halfway point here in the past ball show? Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I was supposed to be here today. Especially you prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer and Bucky Harris. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and the ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at them. They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. He didn't do anything wrong in this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beat for crying out loud. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. 